So something has been bugging me lately. Oh yeah, what's what's going on? I'm an avid watcher of Jeopardy. And recently there was a clue. It was a before and after category and the correct response was what is Gangsta's Paradise Lost? It's a combination of the song Gangsta's Paradise and Paradise Lost by Milton. Right, an Aculio song. Right. So okay. one of the contestants rang in and said, what is Gangster's Paradise Lost? And it was initially ruled correct. Well, the judges then reviewed the response and said, actually, that's an incorrect response because the name of the song is Gangsta's Paradise, not Gangster's Paradise. And they took the money away. So, ah, so, so we, got the e, we got the ER versus the A debate. Yes. Now, right off the bat, that rubbed me the wrong way for obvious reasons, I think. <laughs> like, this, right. Right? Like, we're doing this on Jeopardy now? Um, and, but the right. reason why they said that it was wrong was because they looked up in the Oxford Dictionary gangster and gangsta and found two different entries and they said well there are two different words therefore it's not just a pronunciation issue you said the wrong word i'm gonna have to disagree with the oxford dictionary on that (laughs) it's the same word it is it is and honestly if you even look at the dictionary entry gangsta basically says informal version of gangster so it's not really like two different definitions and there's a whole thread on the, the jeopardy facebook page and people were agreeing with the judge's decision saying oh no they're two separate words gangster is like al capone and italian mafia and gangsta is like black street culture really though is that what we're doing this is the same word it is it's the same word yeah I, I i have to disagree with that that's that's nonsense it just really bothered me you know, maybe more than it should, considering it's a game show. But I don't know. I, I, no, but I I get it. I I understand. That's yeah. And yeah, it doesn't. It's it's nonsense. I start thinking about things like search engine optimization. Now I know when Gangsta's Paradise came out, it was a little maybe before that kind of thing. But you know, sometimes you'll spell things phonetically or differently uh, to improve your search results. I, you know, a lot of Tupac songs had like, you know, T-O replaced with two or maybe instead of an I-N-G, an I-N with an apostrophe. You know, right. slang, phonetics, uh, whatever. I don't think that this necessarily makes it a different word or something that requires you to pronounce it the, the same way or or, or we, more than that. I don't think it should require us to think of these things as different necessarily i mean maybe maybe in a subtle very subtle way but not in a way that officially makes you wrong on jeopardy for saying it one way versus the other yeah i i agree uh the only thing i could i could see why they might do that is because it would be an official title mm-hmm. um the official title of the song or the official title of a book or something like that then you know maybe the the artist or the author stylistically chose to write it that way for uh you know a certain purpose and so that's what the name is so i could see that but outside of that context right i think it, i mean it's the same word and so maybe since it's a piece of art maybe that's the route they're going with it i don't know yeah th- i mean that was certainly part of the rationale that some of the people in the thread that i was looking at uh, were using but you know, people also brought up the point, hey, I'm from Boston. Like, we say gangsta, gang, we say gangster, gangsta all the time because that's how we talk. Uh, would I be marked wrong if, you know, if the opposite scenario was at play? Uh, <laughs> or, like, the joke right. is in New York, instead of donkey, we say donkey. If it's, you know, what is Donkey Kong? And I say, what is Donkey Kong? Is that wrong? Uh, you know, right. sometimes people say things a little bit differently. I get that this might be a little different for the reasons that you cited and because, uh, you know, I guess the intent was gangsta versus gangster, but I don't. I think there's no. There was an overemphasis on that difference. I, I think, and I think if you're saying that this is just gangsta and gangster to the point where one is right and one is wrong, you're almost missing the point of the song and uh, what they're trying to convey here. It's not like mm. these are two separate ideas. Uh, maybe slightly different, but very much related. 
gangster is gangster. Right. So somebody in a gang is a gangster. You know, what I mean, right. why why draw that that much of a differential? Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree with that. I agree with that. They should have gave that man his money. Yeah. But um, like I said, if it's the, if they're going the art route, then you know, maybe, um, because if it were an article, they would have to write it the way that the the title is. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I think they should have gave him his money. Right. Give that man his money. Right. But what if the title was gangster and someone said gangster because sometimes that's how people talk. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. It's tomato, tomato. Yeah, exactly. And this is the best, uh, podcast, I guess, ever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the best podcast. Yes. I the am best not. Best pod. Jay Long Carter. Bit podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm not Mike Scala. That's right. So, yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. All right. So, There's a couple of things um, that went on. You know, we had the uh, Golden Globes this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a bunch of uh, celebrities come out to pat each other on the back. I have to be honest. I did not watch it. I didn't watch it either. Actually, I I don't watch. I usually don't watch the award ceremonies. Um, they've been kind of I don't know, kind of dull. Um, the last one I enjoyed was when Kanye snatched the mic from that white chick. Oh yeah, the Taylor Swift moment. Yeah. I don't even think I watched the whole award show then. I just I watched that clip. The last award show I think I fully watched was, I think it was an MTV. Uh, video music awards, and I remember, um, the lead singer of Guns N' Roses performed mm, Axl Rose uh, for the first time in a long time. Yeah, Axl Rose. It was like a comeback performance, and Eminem performed. And doesn't he always the act? The Axl Rose performance was horrible. <laughs> um, and the Eminem performance. It, this is what turned me off. I think from watching any more of those type of award shows was because Eminem was lip syncing. Yeah, I recall that. How you gonna have a rapper on there lip syncing? Yeah, and that just turned me off. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's a double standard, but it just kind of turned me off. That was a while ago, I think. Yeah, it's been a long time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm really aging myself. The last award show, I think the last MTV award show that I can really remember watching from beginning to end and really being into it was when Chris Rock hosted. And I think think, (laughs) think that was like 9999. So we're talking about like 1999. I think that was, I remember like that was how they were advertising with a bunch of nines. So yeah, a long time ago. And Tupac's mom and Biggie's mom came on stage and hugged. It was a big symbolic moment. And that felt so far removed from Biggie and Pac's murders. It was only two and three years later. Crazy. Mm. Yeah, I didn't see that, but I, I remember that moment. Yeah. So. so. Well, they had the the, the, um, the Golden Globes, and um, Oprah came on. Well, it was first of all, there was two big things in that, in that um, award show. Uh, the women came out in all black. Um, mm. For the Me Too, Me Too movement. Now, is that the official As, color of the Me Too movement? Um, I don't know if that's the official color, but uh, that's what it was kind of like. I don't know if it was a loosely formed protest or awareness, right? Bringing to um, show solidarity, action. right? And uh, they wanted to clean up Hollywood, but that's so, obviously some very uh, dark imagery. It's almost like they're attending a funeral wearing all black. I guess, and so. That was what was happening then, and then Oprah uh, gave a speech, and everyone hailed the speech as amazing, and people started calling for uh, Oprah to run for president in 2020. Right. Now, this was very calculated. I mean, Oprah had been openly discussing the idea of running for president for a while now, certainly since really? Trump's election. Yes, yes. So you can look at articles of her saying, I'm considering running for president since Trump was elected. So this was something that was very huh. much done with the intent of generating that buzz, and it was very successful. Oh, well, see, I didn't know that. I didn't know she had been talking about it previously. Um, but it, it did, if that was her intent, uh, it worked. A lot of people started, um, especially on social media, were talking about, you know, you know, Oprah should run for president and that. 
So first, first off, what would you think about an Oprah presidency? I would not like it. Really? Before we even get to an Oprah presidency, I mean, maybe she could do a good job. Who knows? I would not like an Oprah candidacy. Let me put it like that. Mm. I think we need to move away from this idea of reality stars, celebrities running for president. We need experienced people in the job. You know, people don't like the word politician. Everybody is pro-outsider these days, and I get that. But if you're in the hospital, do you want someone to come over and say, hey, I'm going to perform surgery on you. Don't worry, I'm not a doctor. I mean, no, you, you need a politician to, <laughs> to do politics. You need someone who's seasoned in the role, I think, and who has the experience to do it. I, I kind of agree and disagree with that. I think... I think we have. I think um, you need someone who 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 knows some stuff about you know politics, who who are, at least knows some stuff about government. Um, what I disagree on is that like a politician is usually involved in those political games that mm-hmm. I'd really dislike. Like I think a lot politicians of who who shy away from saying or supporting something because they're worried about what the higher-ups in their party say or they're worried about what their contemporaries say. So they follow a party line. and Right, or their funding will be that's cut what off. They have, right, and you know, you got donors that control what the, what the politician will support because they're worried about their donations and their mm-hmm. funding. So and the so, argument there is if you have someone who's independently wealthy, they're above the fray and they may not be so controlled by those forces. Well, I think it's just more the case. I guess that's the argument that some people say, and that's certainly what um, what what Trump tried to to get across mm-hmm. when he was running. Um, I don't think that's the case, but I think it just depends on the on the actual candidate themselves if they are willing to, um, you know, to stand up for what um, for what you know what's right or what you know they believe is right and what the people that voted them in want. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of the party or the machine and all of that, and but see, I agree that we need reforms, and it's easy to say that a lot harder to actually achieve. But we need to do a lot to reduce the influence of money in politics and all these other forces, special interests, etc. Um, I don't know if the solution though is to put someone who's a political outsider in the role. Because who's to say they're not going to be more influenced? I mean, they're just going to be inexperienced at playing the game. Doesn't mean they're not going to make the attempt. Yeah, no, that's that's true. They might they might want to play the game, um, I, but I don't think being an outsider automatically disqualifies someone from uh, from making the attempt, making their run. I think everyone should have that that option for making their run. Now that saying that. I do agree that we might want to get away from um, celebrities and these reality stars running for for president. Right. Because because I don't think it should turn into a high school popularity contest. Right. And that's what I think a bunch of celebrities running for president would turn into would be a, a popularity contest. You know, it started with. Obama and everyone was saying, oh, he's a rock star. Do you really want a celebrity, quote unquote, to be president? And that was kind of a joke because he actually had experience in public service. Now, some might argue, well, he was only a freshman senator. Maybe he wasn't there a long enough time. But he still had committed himself to public service, and he was a seasoned politician in some form. Uh, Certainly different from someone like a Donald Trump or an Oprah, and now you're talking about people like The Rock or Mark Cuban or you know all these guys who are talking about running for president now who have no form of political experience. I think those are very different things. Uh, maybe run right. for Congress. Maybe run for city council in your area. Run for mayor of your city. You know, whatever. I don't know if you have to start by running for president, though. Yeah, uh, and then what was it? Uh, after Trump uh, got elected, Kanye said that he was running for president no, next no. time yeah, around? No, no, yeah, actually before. I don't think Kanye realized how it worked. Uh I think when he originally said he was running in 2020, he was 
not really thinking it through and just thinking every four years someone else runs for president. And so he thought, okay, so after this election, I got next. But then when Trump won and he actually met with Trump, and I guess he was friends with Trump on some level, uh, he said, no, 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 not 2020. I mean 2024. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so this is what I mean. <laughs> if, you know, it's one thing to be a celebrity, but let's have people who actually know how the hell our political system works. You know what I mean? Well, I think someone... And that's obviously well, the basic understanding of, of yeah. <laughs> Someone with a basic I, I understanding think Oprah of civics would do better than Kanye in that capacity. I think she would do. I think she would do well in a, in a large capacity and might bring bring some compassion back to um, to government to the United States because that's her. That's been her whole her whole motivations and her whole uh, thing throughout her career right she might struggle with military action right that's a good point though because she does have some relevant experience i wouldn't discount all of that talk show experience all of the work that she's done no it wasn't in elective office or you know politics directly but i think uh she does have she's built schools before she's done she's got experience and exposure to the important issues Uh, but like you said there are still some that she may be lacking but you find that problem also with all candidates a lot of candidates with that's true uh executive experience like governors they say well you've got no foreign policy experience and then if you have senators maybe who you know sat on a foreign policy committee they've got all these foreign policy credentials they say yeah but you never ran anything in your life you've got no executive experience so it's very rare to find someone who has both yeah, that's that's true. That's true. I'm just thinking about the character that uh, her character uh, that um, we know her from would be uh, make her difficult to run um, to deal with the military. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, so somebody made the point that she's a very popular figure now. She's been in everyone's living rooms for all these years. Suburban white women love her now. She's Oprah. Who doesn't love Oprah? She gives out cars to everybody. But if she became right. a serious candidate for president and had to discuss issues and, you know, what if she took a liberal view on things like immigration or drug laws or certain things that could turn off the suburban voters who love her now? You know what I mean? Once Oprah jumps into that ring, she's no longer the Oprah we all knew and loved. She's now a presidential candidate and right. the game changes. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's, you know, um, and when it comes to bombing countries or whatnot, like, <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine Oprah. I guess we would probably change. Yeah. For 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 the good or the, or, or the bad, like, you know, it might be a good thing if she stopped those some of these. Now, have you seen the memes going around with hashtag she knew and all these pictures of Oprah and Harvey Weinstein? Um. No, I haven't seen those. Yeah, I've got a lot of conservatives, I guess, on my social media who are posting those. I think it's kind of silly to say that because she has some kind of relationship with Harvey Weinstein that should disqualify her. This is the kind of gotcha game that we play too often, and we use it to try to disqualify good candidates. Not Again, not saying she's particularly a good one, but just in general, I don't like that tactic. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Now Seth MacFarlane, Family Guy creator mm-hmm. and um, creator of the the Orville, um, he had some good points on on Twitter, and um, there's, there are two tweets that he um, he tweeted out. I'm gonna read really quickly. Okay. He said, he said Oprah is beyond doubt a magnific- magnificent orator, but the idea of a reality show star running against a talk show host is troublingly yes. dystopian. We don't want to create a world where dedicated public service careers become undesirable yes. and impractical in the face of raw celebrity. Yes, I agree. So I think that's a, I think that's a really good point. That's what I'm um, saying. There's nobility it, in public service, and people sure. don't like the word politician, but I think our jobs should be to improve the perception of what a politician is. Let's have better examples of politicians instead of saying we're going to shun politicians and only elect non-politicians. Well, I think yeah, the situation doesn't necessarily say we're going to only elect non-politicians. Well, but, but if the presidential it, race is between a talk show host and a reality TV star, that's what we're doing. Right. And And, yeah, and so... It does, you know. I, I agree with uh, McFarland's take, 
that um, you know it's going to turn into battle against celebrity, right? And, and also, doesn't it kind of make itself, the Democrats seem a little hypocritical? At least the ones who are saying Trump was not qualified. Now, of course, there are differences on ideology and a whole host of things, but just on the fact that he had no experience. And if that was the main or one of the main arguments against a Trump presidency, how can you support someone who also has no political experience? I don't I don't think that was the a big point against Trump that people were making. Maybe the I other points overshadowed that one, but I think that was part of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that one's kind of low on the list. <laughs> the totem pole. I think I think. Yeah, when they're saying he didn't have any experience, I think it's more about, you know, experience and just life in general. Well, <laughs> didn't but he it. look, let's not discount the fact he is the only president we've ever had with no political or military experience. Right. Oprah would be the yeah. second. The, the Rock would be the You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know if The Rock had military experience. Well, no. But. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was going to say Ronald Reagan, but he was governor. Yes. Um and that's while. what I'm saying. Yeah. If okay. Oprah ran for governor of Illinois, I'm sure she'd do great. <laughs> so, yeah, and he, he made another tweet. So another point he said, he said, I don't think anyone is questioning the breadth of her accomplishments. The observation is a more fundamental one. Will there still be room for the likes of Kamala Harris or Maggie Hassan in political future we're creating or only Tom Hanks? Right. Well, I'm glad you brought that up also because I was going to ask about the other Democrats who have been positioning themselves uh, for 2020, in particular Kamala Harris. She did a fundraiser in the Hamptons not long ago that some of the Clinton people uh, did with her. Uh, She's being obviously talked about as one of the candidates. We have two, two or three, depending on whom you ask, from New York. You've got Governor Andrew Cuomo, who almost certainly will jump in the field. You've got... Right. Uh, Senator Gillibrand, who also has been positioning herself, she's been trying to portray herself as the champion of the Me Too movement. And then you've got right. uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio. No one knows for sure what the hell he's doing. He's making trips to Iowa. He's certainly trying to insert himself in the national conversation. Uh, but will he actually be a candidate? I don't know. But you do have a lot of Democrats. Some people think more than 20 somewhat credible Democrats will be in this race. Right. I, I kind of think um, Ted Lieu from California seems to be trying to uh, at least elevate his profile to, to make sure. a, but you've also to got make some kind of a, a, an appearance. The mayor of Los Angeles. Carsetti, I think his name is. Ah, yeah, I hadn't heard. Yeah. Uh, you've got uh, Hickenlooper, governor of Colorado. All right. You know, there are a lot of them. Yeah, I think they we'll see the the herd to thin out as the years go on. Sure. But um yeah, I think I think everyone's vying for a little bit of uh, traction right now to see uh what kind of um appearance they can make on the on the national stage and see, you mm-hmm. know, if something something sticks. How well they do um, at the county fairs out there in Iowa. I really hope yeah. that Joe Biden runs. I think he would be great. I think I think when you talk about politicians that uh, set a good example, I think Joe Biden should stand should stand in that top five. Right. Um, like he just seems like such a genuine guy. Now, sure, he makes a lot of flubs with his speaking, and he's a little, can be a little awkward. But that but also, kind of asked to his appeal. Yeah, um, and and. It gives, I guess it's uh, endearing now. He's Uncle Joe right. now. Right. Uh, but we're talking about a guy who was in Congress for years, and you know, he was taking the train to, to work. Although I, I know that story is overplayed, but you know what? He deserves to overplay it. I Do you really yeah. think he was doing that every single day? <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, he, and you know, I, I think he'd do a good job. He seems pretty genuine. Right. So now if Oprah were to run versus Trump, who do you think would uh who do you think would take it? 
it's early to really say. It depends on a lot of factors, the status of the uh, Russia investigation, if anything is going on with that, or how far along uh, that's gotten. Uh, it depends on really, I think, who wins the midterm elections, because that's going to set the tone for what happens in the country over the, the two years uh, you know, between 2018 and uh, 2020, um, how the economy is looking. Uh, you know, there, there are a few factors. As it stands today, I think Oprah would win because I think Trump is so deeply unpopular. But Oprah right. hasn't even had a chance to make herself a candidate yet, and so people aren't uh, criticizing her as, uh, or scrutinizing her as much as they will if, that, you know, if and when that comes. Right. Yeah, definitely. That's like Trump versus the generic Democrat. The generic Democrat wins, but you don't run against any generic Democrat. You run against an actual person with a record in history. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I think she, you know, as you said, right now she would take it. And um, they interviewed Sean Spicer uh, about that topic. And um, this was uh, in the UK. And he was saying, "Oh, you know, you know, she's she's like a TV star. She doesn't have any experience." And the host just went crazy. and was like, "Whoa, Sean, do do you realize what you're saying? <laughs> Who you used to work for?" Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. about the political landscape, and there's almost a civil war within the Democratic Party, or at least two lines of thinking about why they lost in 2016. And wow, I can't believe it's 2016. It's like two years now. But um, yes, you look at the states that Hillary lost that she should have won, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio. And there's a combination of factors. Number one, a lot of those Rust Belt, blue collar, you know, white voters who did vote for Obama turned against the Democrats. And a lot of them went for Trump or voted for third parties. But then there's also the black and Latino voters in the big cities who just didn't show up like they did when Obama was running. A lot of them stayed home, which uh, obviously hurt Hillary. So if you have someone like Oprah, you have the possibility of covering both bases, uh, you know, at least if she can retain her popularity with the suburban voters. Yeah, um, uh, she would be hugely popular with, with women, I would imagine. Right. Um, the trouble, I think, um, in the women uh, demographic would be white women, but she is white very women popular love with white women Oprah. as well. She would ha- she would right. do worst amongst white men, I would think. Yeah, I think yeah she would do worst among yeah. So yeah, it would be it would be um, interesting, I suppose. But Joe Biden, I think, carries that same appeal in that he can appeal to those white. You know, those white, blue-collar, Rust Belt voters that Hillary just wasn't able to connect with because he's from that area. He kind of, you know, just naturally has that appeal. But I think he could also get the Obama voters, a lot of the black and Latinos and, you know, the minority voters who were excited about Obama. I think he could appeal to that as well just because he was the vice president under Obama. And I think he can pull that coalition together also a lot better than Hillary was able to. Yeah. And, And, you know, we've talked about it before. My my thing with Hillary was that, you know, especially early on, she just came off like she felt entitled to the position. She didn't since seem to want to fight for it. That was since 2008. Yeah, like, and that was why she lost the nomination in 2008. And uh, we thought in 2016 maybe she had learned her lesson, but it didn't seem like she did. Or if she did, she just wasn't no. able to convey that and show that she was willing to fight for it. Yeah. And so... That's that turned me off to her in the beginning. It was just like, yeah, you're, um, you know, you just don't seem like you you care. Like you feel like we owe it to you to make you president. Mm. So. Well, while everyone is talking about the possibility of Oprah or another celebrity running and giving them validity, I'm wondering if this actually makes someone like Kamala Harris look stronger because the main knock on her would be that she's only been in the Senate uh, for a very short time and maybe doesn't have enough experience to be president. But if her competition is uh, these candidates with no political experience, she looks like the most qualified of them all. Yeah, that's that's true. 
and in a debate or in you know interviews she could probably talk talk around those people easily because she would be able to cite policy or she'd be able to cite um you know uh, laws and whatnot right so she would come off even more sounding even more experienced right right by contrast yeah so so well one step at a time yeah. we'll see what happens in the midterms i think that's gonna determine yeah what happens still, going forward we still have to we still have to get trump out so well that's what i'm saying if the democrats are somehow able to take uh, the house and the senate uh you know impeachment proceedings and all that would uh would obviously be accelerated yeah yeah because people calling for for impeachment while i agree uh you know they don't realize that you know congress has to do it and it's the republican controlled congress they're not going to do it's it. a political game much more than it's a legal game a lot of people don't realize that yeah yeah so but so yeah we'll see that's what's going on on the national stage let's bring this back to the local stage because i obviously am very much involved in new york city politics and a big discussion around here lately is rikers island and should it be closed now when i first heard this idea i was a little dumbfounded because Rikers Island is a city jail. It's where people are housed mainly who have not yet been convicted of a crime. They're either awaiting trial. Maybe they can't afford bail. Uh, They do keep people who have been sentenced to a short time there so that they're not sent uh, to to prison upstate like they would if they were convicted of a felony. But for the most part, it's a jail for people who haven't yet been convicted. And the first question is, if you close it, what do you replace it with? You know, what happens now? And that was something that was always a concern of mine. And so I guess the question, even before you get to that, is why do you want to close it? And I've done a lot of work, you know, in the Senate. I recently visited Rikers, I vis- visited Rikers to check out the conditions there. They are not right. good. I think we can all agree on that, or at least most of us can agree on that. Uh, a main issue I have with it especially coming from an attorney's perspective, is that constitutional rights are being violated. Everyone has a right to a speedy trial. And you have people who are sitting there right. for well over a year, year and a year and a half, two years, longer in some cases. Um, and I have personal interactions with some of these people. You know, I've actually seen this. Um, and that's an issue. But Yes, you know, that's a major issue. You know, And then you have violence. You've got other poor conditions, uh, the idea that these people are just kind of out of sight, out of mind, so it's easy to forget about them and not uh, do our jobs with, you know, kind of just cast them off on the island and forget about them. That's another issue that people will bring up. But what do you do about this? I mean, is closing it the solution? Is it beyond reforming? Can you fix the problems within it? Or do you have to just shut the whole thing down? And, you know, and then what? Then how does it look? So... There's a big debate in New York City yeah, about this right uh, now. Yeah, I, I think, um, first of all, like the big problem, and people shouldn't be sitting there for a year, two years, like especially if you haven't been charged with anything. Right. That's utterly ridiculous. You are basically kidnapping people at this point. Um, that should not happen. Um, so I think the conditions definitely need to be cleaned up. You know, shutting, like you said, shutting it down. What are you going to do in the meantime? If you shut it down, mm-hmm. it's going to have to, you're going to have to have another facility. What they need to do is go through and just clean house, like make a radical change, upgrade facilities, clean facilities. You know, go through the administration with a fine tooth comb. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been attempts um, at reforms like these over the years, none of which have proven too successful. I can say now the population has been decreasing on Rikers, which is good, is indicative of crime being down and uh, certain reforms being successful. But I think a major overhaul is needed. Now, I personally have not come out in favor of closing Rikers because of uncertainties about what you replace it with. There are talks of neighborhood jails, and historically our neighborhoods in South Queens have been dumped on. I mean, we have all the homeless shelters, and, you know, there's a courthouse in Rockaway, 
that's been abandoned for many years with jail cells already in its basement. Many people may not know that. Uh, might that be chosen as a site for a neighborhood jail? And can our neighborhoods accommodate uh, a, a jail there, given that the infrastructure is so horrible, that the transportation is so bad, there's no health care? You know, it's, it's, we need a lot in our neighborhood, and I don't know if we can take on that burden right now. And I think a lot of neighborhoods throughout the city are going to feel that way. Um, but, you know, I will explain the counterpoint to that, which is if you stop housing everyone on Rikers and instead put them in a jail close to where they're from and close to the court that they'll be tried, it'll be easier to facilitate their trials. So you won't have them all, you know, on some remote island, so to speak. You'll have them by the court uh, where they'll be heard for their crimes. Right. Um, I, I think it definitely needs the main thing is, is to to get through the speedy trial like mm-hmm. people shouldn't be sitting anywhere even if it's a local jail you right. shouldn't be sitting anywhere for a year waiting on trial um, and you know it's the courts are overcrowded but that's something that needs to be dealt with right you know and then I come back and I have my own questions like okay so that sounds plausible you want to keep people close to the courthouse but it's not like even if they were in Rikers you couldn't put them on a bus and take them to court I mean does that really explain why it takes so long for them to get a trial right um I think you know trials are courts are stuffed full we've got frivolous lawsuits we've got nonsense lawsuits we've got um you know overly restrictive laws we've got unjust arrests and it's just stacking the system with stuff that doesn't even need to be there right and so you yeah you know so you're gonna it's gonna make it take longer to get trials for people who might actually need to be you know need to be tried in court well i recently caught the bug again and this was on a recent trip to rikers I've got to shout out Kevin Livingston, who runs a great program called 100 Suits for 100 Men. You know him. I know you met him uh, back yeah. in 2012. He's been running this program. Right, right. He's done stuff with Colin Kaepernick recently, and he's been doing pretty big things. And he does a program on Rikers where uh, people can elect to take his course, and he teaches them certain skills. And at the end of the course, they all get a certificate of completion. And as part of this course that right. he was doing, he brought me in. I think it was the last day. It was like the graduation ceremony. He promised them that he would have attorneys come speak to them about issues that they may have. And I told Kevin, I'm not someone with a lot of expertise in criminal law. I haven't really done any criminal law defense or anything. I do mostly civil litigation, but I'm a lawyer and I've got general knowledge. And if you're asking me to come, I would like to come. I want to kind of take a look at Rikers uh, in his current state anyway. So I went and I found it to be a great experience. Um, One thing I should mention is that gang culture is very much alive and well on Rikers, and I guess this ties back to the gangsters' paradise at the top of the show, but it's not just an L.A. thing or even a Chicago or Detroit thing. Maybe in New York City it's a little little bit different. Are those those gangsters or gangsters? (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah, I guess you would have to ask Alex Trebek. But... Yeah. Uh, he's, you know, everyone knows he's our gang expert these days, but right. um, maybe they're just gangsters in that these may not be the type of gangs we think about when we think of actual gang culture, like in L.A., for instance, but at least in Rikers is very much alive and well to the point where the classes had to be separated by gang. So... There was a Bloods class mm. and a Crips class, and then you had the Latin Kings who sat in on one of them. Um, but it was it was just an, uh, an experience. I mean, right. just being there, uh, you know, seeing what it's like, talking to people. You know, he did this in like a school type uh, setting that they've got in Rikers, uh, which is a good thing to right. have. Um, you know, everybody who participated acted like they were very much into it. But then right. once he gave out their certificates. Uh, afterwards, uh, one of the COs called Kevin over and said, Kevin, look at this. And he showed that one of the certificates was like on the floor crumpled up. And he was like trying to point out that like, yeah, these guys act all 
like they're into it when you're there, but really they don't care. They're just basically trying to get a vacation from jail, so to speak. Uh, so, you know, th- th- I think there, th- there was a lot kind of going on uh, there. But I think that the program was successful, very commendable. Uh, the most lasting impression, though, that it left on me was that these guys started to rap at the end of it. And they didn't know I was a rapper. I don't, at least I don't think most of them did. And I spoke uh, as a lawyer there. But I heard them rapping, right. and I said, I got to get in on this. And I, I said to Kevin, I said, I think I'm going to I, I think I'm gonna um, spit something. And he was like, yeah. He's like, you want to? He's like, I'll get their attention right now. And he, and he didn't even, like, really waste any time. And he was like, yo, my man Mike wants to get in on this. And they had no idea what to expect at this point. So I rapped, and I spit my uh, Inferno verse. And the whole place went into a complete frenzy. It was like pandemonium in this classroom on Rikers. <laughs> Because they didn't expect right. this lawyer right. guy to know how to rap. And right. somebody yelled out, I think this guy was in there for murder, and he, he yelled out, he's like, wait a minute, hold up. This wasn't your first time. You've been know how to rap. You've been know how to rap. Like, you're not fooling us. <laughs> right. And so then I explained my history that, you know, I did something with Raucous Records back in the day, and I've, you know, done a lot of stuff in hip-hop. And... Uh, I felt like I connected more with them as an MC than as an attorney right. that day. And uh, right. it made me want to get back in the studio and do more things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and briefly to the, to the point of, um, you know, the CEO pointing out the, the certificate crumpled up on the floor. Yeah. I think, I think that that mindset is, is indicative of where we're at now in, um, as far as prison and enforcement of uh, prison sentences is that, you know, these attempts at education or these attempts at outreach, uh, oh, yeah, they're no, they're no good, so we should just abandon them. And right. I think that's a problem. You know, we need to get back to rehabilitation yes. as far as the point of prison and not just the point of just caging people. It's like, yeah. okay, let's, let's do rehabilitation. Like, yeah, sure, some people, uh, it's not going to grab everybody, but – you know, if we grab a couple of people, then, you know, that makes society on the back end and their lives on the back end much better. You know, well, that reduces that reduces recidivism. Uh, you know, they don't come back. There is a documentary a on back. Netflix that compares really contrasts our prison system with that of a Scandinavian country. I think it might be Norway. Uh, it actually shows jail uh, over there versus over here, and someone from their system comes and visits ours and makes note of the differences. But certainly very much right. their goal is rehabilitation, whereas in the U.S. we abandoned that goal in the 1960s. That was originally what it was supposed to be for for us too, and what we were doing for whatever reason didn't seem to be working. So instead of changing what we were doing, we just changed the goal and said – well, no, the focus then is not rehabilitation. The focus is just retribution. and It's just to punish people purely or just get them off the street, get them away from us. And right. that hasn't worked out. And I think that's a no, fundamentally not flawed to. approach to any problem. You know, if you're trying to solve a particular problem and what you're doing isn't working, you don't say, I'm just going to change my goal. You say, I'm going to change what I'm doing. I mean, if that's really your goal, change the approach. Right? <laughs> don't keep doing the same thing and say, well, maybe uh, – Maybe we'll get a different result. No, you you still want that right. result. I think I think changing um, from uh, rehabilitation to punishment it it serves the prison industrial complex. It serves to make profit. It doesn't you know educating and rehabilitating prisoners so they don't come back doesn't serve um, a capitalistic goal. You know there's no there's no extra money in that. There's extra money in them coming back. It's like the pharmaceutical industry wanting to sell you pills that will kind of make you feel better, but you'll need more as opposed to actually wanting to cure you. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, I think that we can see that across a lot of industries. And so, you know, especially in the prison uh, industry that has become, you know, we need to get back to rehabilitation. You know, fix the fix the court system, rehabilitate prisoners instead of just, you know, punishing them. Um and the police need to take that 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 um, that approach as well, you know. Right. So, 
So yeah, it's uh, so on on the topic of closing Rikers, maybe not, but it needs a major major overhaul. Agreed. Agreed that things need to be done, and certainly people's constitutional rights need to be protected. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, have the mentality that, well, these are just criminals. They broke the law. They did bad things. So why should we care about them in the first place? But number one, I disagree with that as a mentality. But number two, I think it's important to mention that these are not, for the most part, convicted criminals. These are people who have not yet been tried for their crimes or their alleged crimes. And so right. we need to afford them uh, the assumption of innocence until proven guilty. We, yes, they're currently uh, in jail because they've been arrested and there's you know probable cause and all that, uh, let's, let's assume. But uh, we cannot treat them as though they have been convicted. They're not convicts. Uh, they're people who could have been falsely accused uh, like I was. We talked about that last time. And we have to treat right. them as such. We have to presume that they're innocent until it's proven otherwise. Uh, yeah, I think we need to get back to that that as well. Yeah, uh, you know, the presumption of innocence, you know, innocent to proven guilty instead of just, you know, oh, you're just, you have to prove your innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, it needs a major, major overhaul. Uh, this is what, this is something that politicians should be uh, pressured, pressured on. Um, maybe not closing it, but pressured on, making sure that it's it's run better and that people are, you know, getting their constitutional rights honored. Well, speaking of pressure, I know you wanted to bring up Uh-oh. the Uh-oh. genuine story and the kind of pressure. That was put on him. I don't know if his constitutional rights were violated, um, but something happened. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't. Did I want to bring this up? I thought I thought this was your topic. But <laughs> no, you certainly called it to my attention. I, I yeah, I, I I pulled it to your attention. Um, yeah. So if you don't know, genuine. He's a singer. Um, I think uh, most famous song was probably Jam Pony. Uh, he. Jam Pony. I think it's just called Pony. Yeah. It's called oh, Jam okay. Pony. Pony. I don't know. And then there's a song called uh, Differences. I know he pops yeah, up on he was, like my Pandora every once in a while. I usually hit skip, but I do appreciate the songs. Right. Yeah. And he was most active probably in the 90s. Yes. And he uh, actually you know, performed big... at Black Caucus Weekend in Albany when I was working uh, in the Senate. So he was there. <laughs> He was the headliner yeah. that year, uh, but I didn't go. Yeah, good artist, you know, R&B artist. So he's, for some reason, he was on Celebrity Big Brother in the UK, however that happens. Um, and he was having a conversation with uh, some of the housemates, and one of his housemates is a transgender woman. Um, and... Hmm. The housemate was talking about. Um, she said, uh, "You know, would you would you date a transgender woman?" And he was say, he said, "You know, people were talking about this topic, and others were saying, oh, you know, men think that if they date a transgender woman, that makes them homosexual.'" And another woman was saying, "Oh, this is that this is that nonsense. It's that toxic form of masculinity that." Um, makes them think that if they date a transgender woman they're homosexual and then the the transgender housemate said that oh well you know just just forget the t in front of it i'm just a woman and told ask genuine like you know would you would you date me and genuine said oh if you're a transgender woman no i'm that's you know that you know i wouldn't date you that's at the heart of this whole issue right whether a transgendered woman is a woman and should be embraced by everyone as a woman in the same way that a natural born woman would be right do we draw any differences at all i think that's what this is trying to get at yeah and and that was kind of what i think ultimately because then the sorry about that then um he said no the so the person said oh well you know no i'm just a woman and he said, "Well, if you're just a woman, if you're a woman, I would." And then went in for a kiss, and genuine, you know, rebuffed the kiss, 
from you know this transgender woman and so everyone freaked out saying he's transphobic and it's not so yeah. yeah there are two there are definitely two two points there uh the one that you brought up about you know this is the the point is there are people considering transgendered women the same as um like so-called natural born women and another is personal choice right does he does he have to kiss someone who wants to kiss him just because they want to kiss him? Right. So, yeah. So, what are your thoughts there? Look, we're in the middle of the Me Too movement. No one should have to kiss anyone they don't want to kiss. Uh, so right. I think that's fundamental to all this. The deeper right. question is, does it make you some kind of bigot for not having a desire to have a relationship with a certain type of person, with a transgendered person, or um, what if it was a gay person? I mean, I, I think people have a preference, and their preference is their preference. That's fine. But then you can try to make an analogy to ethnicity. I mean, does it make you a right. racist if you won't date someone of the opposite or of a different race? Perhaps. You know, I, right. I, I don't know. Some people will chalk that up to just preference also. Right. Yeah, and and I, you know, a lot of people rush to uh, Genuine's defense, saying that, um, you know, he's got, you know, he's got the right to choose who he would date, who he's interested in, um, and yeah, I don't think that makes him transphobic or a bigot if he doesn't date. I don't think so uh, either. Tr- transgender people. So right, I mean, and you it, know, there's there's always that joke I, I think maybe this is where some of that sensitivity comes from you see a lot of comedians uh, i think dave Chappelle recently had a, a bit on this where right. they're tricked by uh, a transgendered person and it's like you know it's, it's an outrage how dare you do this this is the most humiliating thing you could do to anyone and you know maybe they, they go overboard with their trans antagonism to use a word and maybe so then there's a an effort to push back against that and say oh come come on we're just asking for equal treatment here and you shouldn't act like we're an other so to speak right um, but i don't think that you can disregard the fact that this actually is someone who was born a man and you might not want to be right. with someone who was a man right and i and i don't i disagree with the notion that this is a form of toxic masculinity now there are definitely some some things that are you know could be could fall under that category but i don't think this is one of them you know right so, you know, toxic masculinity could definitely, things like, um, I don't know, not showing any kind of emotion or, or that type of thing. Sure, you could, you could argue that that's some form of toxic masculinity, you know, because it disregards the whole, the whole totality of a human being to not display any emotion or to not, you know, feel any emotion. But, yeah, to not want to to kiss or have a relationship with someone of the the same sex, I don't think that's toxic masculinity. Well, except for the fact that they're trying to say that it's not the same sex. Right, right. So Or or someone that was born of the same sex right, as you. Right. Let's just try right. to put it that way. And let's be one hundred percent clear. I'm not saying that uh, transgender people should be treated any differently under the eyes of the law. They should have the same rights mm-hmm. and the same opportunities as everyone else. That's not that's not the point whatsoever. Because this is a very sensitive topic. People will people want to pick apart uh, anything to to you know make some kind of an argument over it instead of having some kind of reasoned discussion about whatever the situation is. And that's a problem. I think just in general that we're seeing lately in our society, it's very tough to have an honest and open conversation about anything because if you don't tow a certain line on an issue, it seems people will immediately jump down your throat. And it's like, we're so polarized to the point where you have people on one extreme and people on the other extreme, both ready to crucify you over something that's not exactly in line with their ideology where I think we should be able to have these conversations and talk about them, present ideas, maybe not even be married to these ideas that we're saying, but just put them out there to have a discussion. And especially when we're dealing with kind of new topics that we're not used to approaching as a society, it's healthy to have dialogue without people jumping down your throats and trying to crucify you for every thought you have. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that's going to have to be a topic that definitely needs to be addressed and it's going to have to be discussed um, in that way. Like, you know, you're going to have to get some people on all sides and just sit down and, and make that a conversation that can be had. Cause yeah, how do you approach is, that? How do you approach that? Well, um, you just have to sit down and, and have that discussion. Um, someone bring it up like in topics, you know, um, first you start off, um, acknowledging that everyone agrees that uh, people's rights, no matter you know who they are, should be should be honored and should be protected. Um, as far as you know, under the eyes of the law in society, you know, job opportunities, what have you. Um, no one wants to disagree on that. No one should disagree on that. Uh, and then get into some of the more finer points where you're talking about. Um, uh, you know, gender and should they be considered, um, you know, the same as, I guess it's not same as, um, exactly men or exactly it's women. It's tough to have these conversations, right? Because it's new. This is all kind of new to us as a society. Sure. And, and of course, there are going to be some prejudices going into it, just like, Inherently, you know, of course. Yeah, and I mean, just to, just like the, when the topic of um, gay marriage. I mean, it's still, I mean, it, it's it's common, or well, not common, but it's it's okay now under the law. But there's still pushback against against gay marriage, and right, those um, prejudices are going to come from you know our society that's had decades uh, and uh, uh, under this kind of dogma that. Uh, religious dogma that says that this is this is wrong so yeah there's going to be some of that but it you know you have to talk it talk it through you have to get through it and see what can make what come out on the other what can come out on the other side right you know even have some discussions with with transgender folks and and the like and see you know why what this and that I think hmm. this topic has just kind of been thrust on on the public and so the loudest voices um are the ones that are getting heard and everyone else is kind of just like oh well i don't want to be seen a certain way so i'm just going to keep my mouth shut now i'm curious about this if you were to take a poll of transgendered people and ask them do you consider it transphobic if someone were to refuse to date you, uh, but let's say a straight man were to refuse to date you if you're a, a transgendered woman, uh, does that make them transphobic? I, I wonder what, how, you know, how most people uh, in the transgender community uh, would perceive that. Right. And I, I, you know, I don't know. I would imagine people just want to live their lives and, you know, um, but I do remember uh, this past year there was a, a transgender activist on Twitter, and said that, uh, and said that if you if you don't date if you are heterosexual and you won't date a transgender person you are a bigot. Yeah, I've seen that thought conveyed before. Obviously, this is the same thing we're seeing in the genuine thing, but right, but. I don't know if the whole transgender community feels that that same way. Right. Uh, and then what so. does it mean to be a bigot? Do some people have to embrace that form of bigotry and say, well, then right. I guess I'm a bigot when it comes to certain trans issues. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So it's a big topic. We could actually cover that in, in, in a, probably a podcast in and of itself. Yeah. So... Uh, but yeah. I did want to close uh, this episode by paying tribute to Maria Thompson, who did pass away this week. She was a longtime advocate and leader in the Woodhaven community. was always very supportive and friendly to me. Uh, we protested the select bus service plan together. I would always talk to her at the community board meetings. She ran uh, Candidates Night this past year for the city council. Uh, I showed up uh, ready 
to debate. The uh, opponent didn't show up, so I had the stage to myself, and she made a point to say afterwards that a lot of people were impressed by me that night. She even put me in the newspaper. Uh, she wrote an article shouting me out. Uh, always a very warm and welcoming figure and did so much for the Woodhaven community. She organized a street fair every year, and uh, her loss is, is, is really tragic. It's, it's going to leave a very big void in the community, and so I did want to pay my respects to her uh, as we wrap up this podcast. All right. And with that, this has been another episode of the best podcast ever. I'm Jaylon Carter. I'm Mike Scala. We'll catch you next time.